Hey, tennis fans, and welcome to another edition of the Southpaw Slice. I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre, and we have just wrapped up the fortnight from Melbourne down under at our first Grand Slam of the season. Of course, the Australian Open. Novak Djokovic picked up his third consecutive Grand Slam, his record seventh Australian Open title and 15th major overall. Meantime, Naomi Osaka has her second straight following the U.S. Open crown, picking up her first ever Australian Open. And some plenty, plenty of Canadian action as well as Bianca Andreescu has her first WTA title. But we will start, obviously, in Australia, Mike. And we'll start on the women's side because I feel like we had a variety of storylines coming into the final that we had Petra Kvitova back um, in a Grand Slam final for the first time post knife attack 2016. And then we have Naomi Osaka following up her incredible run in New York to get back to a Grand Slam final. Sure enough, we had an excellent three set final and Naomi Osaka proving that she is uh, one of these young players that is here to stay. Yeah, amazing result from both uh, both finalists. And re- regardless of the result for Kvitova, it's a, a huge victory for her just getting back to the Grand Slam final. And I, I think it's easy for us to kind of forget, uh, you know, how serious it was what she what she went through and endured, um, you know, to come back to the tour and and as she said, even hold a racket. So kudos to both finalists, Naomi Osaka. 21 years old, back-to-back Grand Slams. Uh, you know, not that anyone thought it was a fluke when she won the U.S. Open, but to consolidate and win the very next slam. Uh, no one's done that uh, maiden slam and then followed it up uh, since Jennifer Capriati back in uh, 2001-02, I believe. And uh, and for Osaka, I mean, I think Martina Navratilova kind of said it best uh, when she uh, said recently, uh, when Osaka won her U.S. Open, she became a star and now that she's won the Aussie Open, uh, she's a superstar. And I think that really rings true in this case. Yeah, and it's a, a special moment in terms of, of the rankings as well to become uh, the first ever Japanese uh, player to be ranked number one in the world uh, in the Open era since we've had the ranking system. Uh, you know, she's she's not just one of these rising stars. She's a top, and I, I think she should be considered a favorite anytime she's playing a hardcore event. And she seemingly loves the big stage. I was impressed by uh, her mental mental toughness in this match because it was very topsy-turvy. She won the first set in a close, uh, close tie break, but then the second set seemed to be maybe running away with it a little bit. Had a look at three championship points uh, with Petra Kvitova serving 3-5. Kvitova wins four consecutive games to take the second set and Mike, I think there are a lot of players who would kind of fold in the third after succumbing to that type of pressure and missing out on an opportunity, not Naomi. Yeah, and that would have been understandable if that had happened because she is only 21 years old and have those chances and, and think, hey, did I just let that slip away, especially against a veteran player like Kvitova. And Osaka at times looked like she's, you know, in the tournament maybe going to go off the rails, but was able to sort of keep it together. And, and kudos to her for, uh, you know, the maturing process that she's going through and the work that her coach, uh, Sasha Bajan, is also doing with her. Um, but, uh, yeah, to come back and, and, you know, reassert herself in the third and get an early break and, and then serve out uh, the, uh, the championship, very impressive. And I also have to say it was, it was wonderful to see her get to enjoy the moment, you know, fully and completely without any distractions or sideshows as we had, uh, obviously, at the U.S. Open. So, great to see so quickly after that that first slam that she was able to finally enjoy the moment properly and uh and and have a big smile on her face as she she rightly deserved 
You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Remember, find us at Southpaw underscore Slice on Twitter. You can find me at Ben Lewis SN590 and find Mike at Mike McIntyre. Just to add, I guess, to that to that point, Naomi Osaka solidifying herself as maybe a true superstar and actually breaking a pattern. We had seen eight different uh, women's champions over the past eight majors. Sports Illustrated said something that I know you uh, tweeted about, which was probably a, maybe a disappointing take to undermine some of the great results uh, some women players have had that they said after a two-year trek through the wilderness, women's tennis appears to have found its next uh, true superstar. They said this of Osaka, but as you pointed out, I, I think what we're actually seeing on the women's tour right now is there's a depth of a number of excellent players, and that's why it's so difficult to win multiple slams. Yeah, that's what we've seen, and that's what we've enjoyed talking about the past two years is is the depth and the you know number of personalities that uh, tennis fans are starting to get to know. We can certainly say, you know, when Serena went off with her pregnancy, that it allowed other people the the opportunity to kind of shine and take their moment, and they certainly did. And uh, you know, two year trek through the wilderness. I mean, come on, how much of a, a clickbait headline is that? Give me give me a break. And and whoever you know wrote it should certainly be taken to task for it because it's such a disservice to the talented women on the tour that are you know fighting hard week in and week out. And uh, and there is so much depth in the top twenty, top thirty, even top fifty. You know, so many women that. Uh, can contend so I was very disappointed with that statement you know the only part that uh, I, I you know in that statement there was any any truth to it was really the second part about finding a next uh, real superstar but I think there's many you know superstars on the women's tour that uh, that we can also look to and and young girls and women can uh, aspire to be when they're older as well yeah, and at the beginning of this uh, tournament, we had uh, number one was up for grabs at the very start uh, between 11 players. And I think we have developed a very solid top five on the women's side with Osaka holding the first spot. Petra Kvitova taking the second ranking. Simona Halla played a terrific three-set match with Serena Williams and lost, but she's holding down the number three, then Sloan at number four. And Karolina Pliskova, who had the incredible upset win over Serena, now takes the number five ranking. I just want to talk briefly about Serena Williams in terms of a evaluating her tournament what we saw certainly in the first week her first four victories just absolute cruise control the serve was enormous she seemed just impossible to break and the ground strokes were as powerful as ever it was pretty surprising to see uh, Karolina Pliskova come up huge down 5-1 in a third set against really the greatest of all time I mean how many people probably tuned out changed channels and said okay this is done another uh, Serena victory here to to get her into the the semifinals when she was leading by such a margin that's so so rare to see a a champion of her caliber you know let go of a, a lead like that how much the ankle played into it uh, who knows Serena was was pretty uh, complimentary of her opponent in the post match press conference which which I liked and and kudos to to Pliskova for uh, being able to surmount that that deficit and carry forward and, and give Osaka a pretty good run in the semifinals as well. And I think Pliska has been one of those players that lots of talent, been to a slam final before, but hasn't put it together as much lately and kind of maybe flying under the radar in a sense. Uh, but but she had a great tournament, a great first slam of the year, and, and hopefully can carry some of that momentum forward. 
And uh, we've discussed players like Alina Svitolina. I know sort of our mid-week recap when we were through the half of the tournament. Where is she going to go? She had uh, just come off a, an impressive three-set win over Sevastova, which was difficult getting her into that quarterfinal. And she was rather overwhelmed by Naomi Osaka. I don't know if we evaluate a, a quarterfinal from Alina Svitolina as a disappointment, as about where we expect her to get right now, maybe? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, between her and Zverev, they're really giving each other a run for their money in terms of who's going to be the, the first one to have a, a breakthrough into a slam semifinal because I feel like we've been talking about both of them for so long and kind of paralleling uh, Grand Slam results, although Svitolina does have a few more quarterfinal uh, appearances to her name. But uh, going down to the eventual champion, so, uh, I mean, you take some positive out of that, but the scoreline, 6-4-6-1, disappointing for Svitolina, and, uh, and that quest for major success continues, despite the fact that up to that point, I thought she was looking real good and, and, and very fit and focused, and uh, it'll have to wait. We'll have to wait another slam to see what she can do, I guess. Yes, we will, and uh, I'll just mention out of the final four on the women's side, the most uh, surprising, certainly, uh, not only Pavluchenkova taking one of these spots. Anastasia Pavluchenkova, uh, one, I, one of her big upsets was Sloane Stevens, and she led that to a semifinal. And then out of nowhere, college player Danielle Collins, couple big wins, uh, including just running the table against Angelique Kerber, 6-love, six 6-2, six to reach her first Grand Slam semifinal after never having won a Grand Slam match. So that, that could just be one more face to keep track of on the WTA side, who is very dangerous, uh, has an excellent two-handed backhand. So another player we'll keep track of. I want to talk a bit about uh, the Canadian performances on the women's side from Australia. We'll get to Bianca Andreescu's incredible performance at Newport Beach a little bit later. But let's start with her uh, when she was entering Melbourne, Australia. She was coming off the incredible finals run to the ASB Classic. And I feel like we would have readily forgiven her if she had crashed out in the qualifying due to due to exhaustion, but impressively qualified for the tournament and made it to the second round. And she has just rode that momentum forward. Uh, could she just very quickly become a Grand Slam threat, even even by French Open Wimbledon to, to be pushing third and fourth rounds, perhaps? It's funny we're even talking about that. I can't even believe the question, but you're absolutely, you know, entitled and justified in, in asking it because of her incredible start to to the season. When I was looking at the list pre-tournament at, uh, you know, favorites for the Aussie Open, it was funny to me to see Bianca was, you know, on the list, albeit lower down, you know, maybe in the 15 to, to 20th range there, low odds, but but still she was on the list, you know, which was uh, quite, quite something. Uh She's got the game, you know, she's got the game. Now, does she pace herself, you know, for the rest of the season? Does she, you know, take breaks when needed, uh, training blocks, things like that? Uh, because I know she loves competing so much, always wants to be entering into another event. She's going to have to take it a little bit more slowly as her travel schedule this year is undoubtedly going to be, you know, much more than she's ever been accustomed to as she's fully asserting herself as a, a, a you know, regular professional tennis player. Um, I, I don't know about on clay, and, and in terms of how much grass court experience she's had. But when it comes to hard courts, uh, I mean, yeah, she's going to be uh, someone to watch out for as we you know, move into that Indian Wells Miami phase of the, the tour in a couple of months. And uh, I, I think the sky is the limit. But again, staying grounded and staying focused and, uh, and always with her, the, the back concern is uh, sort of always lingering, unfortunately. So hopefully she's able to you know, um, take care of that as well as best she can. 
Yes, and I, I hope she can give herself a, a much-needed rest after competing in Newport Beach for the full week and picking up WTA title. We'll talk about Jeannie Bouchard, her performance in Australia. Uh, nice to get through the first round and maybe a bit of a measuring stick match for her to face the best and having to deal with Serena Williams in the second round and she really got run over 6-2, 6-2. But uh, as I think I mentioned last week, right now Jeannie Bouchard is sort of floating a bit under the radar. Her ranking is number 76 and if she's just sort of steadily goes on the path she's she seems to be going on right now. I think she could make a return to the top 50 and just give herself chances at better draws in tough events. Yeah, she doesn't have a whole lot to defend, I don't think, for the first half of the year, really. I think the two semifinals that she made in 2018 were sort of uh, midpoint and then later in the year, obviously. So anything right now is going to be gravy for Jeannie. I, I think there's still some development on the variety of her game that her and Michael Joyce can can work on and sort of finding an, another gear or a plan B when things aren't working out, but uh, no shame in losing to Serena Williams the way she did. And uh, as you mentioned, I think top 50 is, uh, is realistic if she's uh, continuing at this pace. We'll uh, shift over to the men's side. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice. And you can catch all of our podcasts on SoundCloud, soundcloud.com slash Southpaw Slice or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll talk about the men's side. And it was billed as such a monumental final, the 53rd career head-to-head encounter. Novak Djokovic, the number one seed, getting set to face the world number two, Rafael Nadal. We've seen them play uh, 52 times prior. And I think everybody was settled in if they were up in the morning getting ready for what could be three four five hour match and what transpired was an absolute master class from Novak Djokovic one of his greatest if not best ever Grand Slam finals performances just runs the table beating Nadal 6-3-6-2-6-3 for a record seventh Australian Open title he now has 15 Grand Slams and counting and I say and counting Mike because is anybody going to get in this guy's way for the next couple of years the way he's playing, it's hard to imagine, isn't it? And and funny how, you know, this time a year ago, you know, we were having a very different conversation about Novak Djokovic and, and then how he carried on from Australia, also struggling to find his game and his confidence. And then it just clicked with the grass court season and he hasn't looked back since. Uh, I'm not surprised Djokovic won the final against Nadal, but I, I was surprised in the, the manner that he was able to do so. You know, when I was setting up the PVR the night before, just in case I overslept, I, I set it for like three programs beyond just in case it went to a, an epic five-set match. So I was quite surprised he did it in three sets and, and so cleanly. But then on the other side, and when you're listening to Nadal in his post-match uh, interview, and, and you're realizing and remembering, heck, the guy hasn't played since the U.S. Open, uh, Nadal, that is. And and so for him, he's you know super thrilled that he was able to get to the, the finals of the Aussie Open because in his mind, he still has a lot of practice to do to get to where he wants to be after such a layoff. So very impressive uh, tournament from Nadal and the way that he took out some of the young guys like uh, TFO and Sissipas uh, with such precision as well. But Djokovic, just another level, and, and he's up there all by himself right now with uh, with three slams in a row. Yeah, I think in that that has to become the discussion, I think, that Djokovic is at that next year a certain level that maybe we haven't seen that Rafael Nadal who played such a fantastic tournament he won his six matches without dropping a set and as you mentioned he was beating the next gen player as he beat Stefano Tsitsipas and only dropped six games after Tsitsipas had the big 
upset over Roger Federer and then runs into Novak Djokovic and really can't even make it competitive. So you're wondering how big is the gap between Nadal and Djokovic and how big is the gap between the rest of the tour and Nadal or these two for that matter. So to me, that was maybe quite telling that the next generation is still a ways away from competing with the very, very best, especially at the Grand Slam stage. Mm-hmm. And and yet we did see Benvedev, you know, 22 years old, Shapovalov, 19 years old, both take a set off Djokovic. So yeah. for both for both of them, that was, I think, an impressive result. I mean, as, as Canadian, uh, you know, reporters, you and me following Dennis, I think the fact he took a set was was more than we expected from him off of Djokovic. Um, so those guys did uh, have something they can look on positively. Uh, but then, gosh, from the quarterfinals onwards, Djokovic only drops a total of 14 games, which is just like that's madness to to think about that, uh, you know, in terms of his quality right now. And so uh, moving forward, I think with the hardcore events, certainly he's going to be heavily favored. It'll be interesting when we transition to Clay to see how he adjusts. And by that point, you'd think Nadal has his wheels going again. So looking forward to seeing the two of them play again, uh, you know, maybe in a lead-up uh, Masters event to the French Open. And, and certainly a French Open final between the two would be, I think, much more competitive than, than what we just saw in Australia. Yeah, I, I know Pat Cash, I think post-match, thought that Novak Djokovic would maybe even be the favorite going into Roland Garros, but the clay season is still a long ways away. Rafael Nadal, I think the one component that he sort of brought up in his post-match interview uh, that was maybe missing from his game, and it's something I certainly noticed from watching that battling from defensive positions and his movement was not quite as high a level as we've seen from him in the past. And then I'm looking back at when they won, uh, when, Djokovic beat Nadal at Wimbledon 10-8 in the fifth set. Uh, that seemed to be a much more competitive match, and Nadal playing at a higher level uh, than he was in this final. But at the same time, Novak Djokovic at this level, I think this is maybe the highest level in tennis that we've seen before. Uh, nine errors in the final. He had 20 total unforced errors through his quarterfinal, semifinal, and final through three matches. Only 20 total errors. That's inconceivable. I was trying to make a parallel to that, and I was wondering, is it like you know, is it like Steph Curry hit shooting 90% from, from three-point range, just never missing? How is that possible? Yeah, it's hard to comprehend. And, and I know back at the Rogers Cup in the summer, Novak was talking in press. And, and although he didn't go deep in that tournament, he was talking about how important it was for him to sort of find a balance in life between, you know, on the court, off the court, family life and, and tennis and all these things. And, and I know some people were kind of rolling their eyes a bit like, okay, this balance with the universe talk again, but uh, <laughs> whatever it is, he certainly found it. And I wish he could share the key with others, you know, so that we could do the same in our professional and personal lives. But uh, yeah, he's got the balance going for him pretty good right now, for sure. Yeah. He seems to be one of the more spiritual personalities on tour. And I, I know he likes to discuss visualization, the importance of visualization for him before he goes on court, which maybe to us seems a little bit strange, but I don't think we can possibly argue with the results. Uh, what Djokovic has been doing on the court, he's really picking up from where he left off from that 2015, 2016 dominance. And uh, certainly if, if not the favorite uh, when we get to the French, he'll be a definite contender. And I think we'll learn a lot as well from the hardcourt stretch when we get to Indian Wells and Miami Open, just how dominant uh, he can be for 2019. Uh, we had some other solid performances from the Australian Open. I don't want to take away from other players. Obviously, Novak Djokovic was head and shoulders above the rest. But Luca Pui making his first ever Grand Slam semifinal appearance was certainly impressive. Uh 
he's kind of a player that I had forgotten about basically after 2016. He had a huge uh, victory over Nadal, I remember, at the U.S. Open and hadn't really done that much since. I don't know if you view him as a player who could rise back into the top 15, but he definitely has a nice game. Yeah, and the confidence is certainly high right now, and he gave a lot of credit to, and rightly so, to his coach, his female coach, Emily Moresmo, which uh, here she is again coaching a, a player on the ATP Tour, and I think it's fantastic. I'd love to see more of that, and, and not just in tennis, but in professional uh, sports as well. I know the Toronto Maple Leafs employ uh, Haley Wickenheiser as one of their sort of uh, you know coaches at some level for practices and things like that, and, and why not? It doesn't matter if you're a male or a female. If you've had success, if you've been a champion, uh, you obviously know the game and have played the game at a super high level. Why wouldn't you want someone like that in your camp? So I think it's great. I uh, Obviously, uh, you know, it really irks me when I hear detractors and, and people that put that kind of, you know, uh, relationship, coaching relationship down. Uh, no place for that. It's, it's 2019. We're moving on and we're, we're moving to bigger and better things where, you know, you can see these collaborations and why not if it's if it's working and for Pui getting to a semifinal i mean i wouldn't have put him in my top 20 potentials for for making it deep at the at the Aussie Open but yeah he's put himself back on the uh, sort of in our collective consciousness as someone to watch and uh, it'll be neat to see what he follows up his Aussie Open with because you know a lot of players when they have a moment like that it's it's tougher for them to uh, sort of consolidate and so we'll have to keep an eye on it. But uh, interested to see what him and his, um, you know, French uh, French coach uh, Moresmo can can do moving forward this year. Yeah, we'll see how they can build off uh, such a great result, the best of his career at a Grand Slam. And interestingly enough, the player he beat to get there in the quarterfinals, Milos Raonic. The way uh, Milos Raonic navigated such a difficult first week with big wins over Kyrgios and Vavrenka, taking out Sasha Zverev in dominant fashion, I was really surprised to see him have a bit of a letdown in that quarterfinal match. But I still think it's a pretty good base for him to build 2019 off. Uh, we've talked ad nauseum about uh, his need for staying healthy but one pretty telling moment came in a press conference when he was asked about the level of his play comparatively to 2016 when of course he made a Wimbledon final got to world number three he feels he's playing better now than he was then so maybe we need to start viewing Milos Raonic as a potential contender for continued deep runs in Grand Slams uh, barring his health yeah, I think for sure. If if he's healthy, then then look out on hard court, grass court for sure. Uh, I mean, first half of the tournament, it's hard to argue that anyone had a better first half of that tournament than Milos Raonic with the quality, quality players that he defeated. I I didn't expect him to be able to get through both Kyrgios and Vavrinka. And and if I did, I sure sure didn't think he'd have much left over after that. But hardly dropping any any sets early in the tournament and absolutely destroyed Alexander Zverev. Um, and then, yeah, it was it was almost uh, it was odd actually to see him lose that one to Pui, a player that he had a three and zero head to head record with coming in. But regardless, um, I think it bodes very positively for him this year. It's nice to hear him talking so confidently, and obviously, we're happy to see a Canadian doing so well. Yes, we are. And uh, next-gen performances were solid here as well, though they didn't make the final push, as I mentioned before, Stefano Tsitsipas with the huge uh, round of 16 win, the big upset win over Roger Federer, Francis Tiafo making his first-ever Grand Slam quarterfinal appearance. Uh, and I'm just kind of looking through the rankings right now, Mike, and, and where all these players are slotting in. You mentioned Daniel Medvedev before. Right now we have Kachanov as number 11 in the world, Stefano Tsitsipas number 12, uh, Daniel Medvedev number 16, 
16. Denis Shapovalov is up to number 25, and Francis Tiafo debuting now uh, just in the top 30 as number 30. Uh, his career high. Alex Diemenauer is also in the top 30 as well. Any names, I guess, of this next generation really standing out to you as guys who are ready to make a further step, whether that's, I don't know if it's beyond a semifinal of a Grand Slam or maybe uh, coming up big, win- winning a Masters 1000 event. Is there, a, is there a player that's standing out to you? Well, I think, you know, two of those guys to me are Sissipas and Kachanov because they've had some success at the Masters level already. Uh, Sissipas had such a great run in Toronto last summer and, and Kachanov obviously in, in Paris. So I'd put them a little bit ahead of the others. And then, I mean, when you think of Dennis, for example, he's like the youngest of the bunch. He's only 19 years old. So, uh, you know, he's got more time to to develop and, and have that success at a master's level. I'm going to be very interested to see how the whole crew of, of next-gen guys there that you've mentioned or those that are just outside of it, how they do when we transition to Indian Wells and Miami. And, uh, you know, while Djokovic and Nadal are still dominating the uh, the, the slams, it seems, uh, those guys I'm going to expect this year to uh, get, get into, sink their teeth into the, the master's tournaments a little bit. And I think we'll see couple of those guys anyways from that group you mentioned having success at, at a Masters 1000 which will be the future you know springboarding them towards eventual because it has to happen one day uh, success at the Grand Slam level. Yes it does have to happen one day now I wonder if that day is not going to come until we see uh, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer finally hang it up but uh, we'll see things can change uh, on a dime sometimes in tennis injuries sometimes play a role as well. You're listening to the Southpaw Slice remember find us on Twitter at South underscore slice we'll finish with more canadian talk mike because as i alluded to earlier bianca andreescu uh winning a wta title such an impressive performance her first career wta title coming in newport beach and as of today is up to number 68 in the rankings that makes her the new canadian number one on the women's side and she's still just 18 years old bianca continuing the impressive uh run all through 2019 Uh, she just feels to be riding on a high right now yeah where to start with Bianca Andreescu there's so much to talk about we could devote a whole show I think just to her progress so far this year um 16 and 2 is her record now if you include her qualifying wins in tournaments this year which is just outstanding so confidence is really just like you know sky high at the moment Uh, I feel like we've talked about new Canadian number ones uh, in Canada on the women's side quite a bit this year between um gosh what do we have uh uh, Abanda and uh, Carol Zhao, I think. Yes, Carol Zhao held back, it at one point last year, too. Right, and back back to Jeannie, and now over to Bianca. I, I think Bianca is going to be tough to knock off this this perch here that she's just uh, you know risen to, because again, little in terms of points to maintain, getting access to bigger tournaments now, where she's just going to accumulate more points, ranking points at these events. So I think she's going to be uh, holding on to that number one ranking for a while. And really, beyond Jeannie, there's nobody on the women's side in Canada who's really close at the moment. I mean, Rebecca Marino is still working her way up. Uh, Francoise Abanda has decided to, to play some challenger tournaments to kind of grind it out a bit and get more matches under her belt. But neither of them are close. They're both outside the top 200. Carol Zhao's kind of fallen off a bit, too. So uh, I think Bianca's going to be there for a while. Uh, she's a, a great face for Canadian tennis, a great attitude and personality. And uh, it's it's just been a joy, uh, you know, I think for us in Canada that have realized she has so much talent to see it happening. Um, and it's kind of like fun to, to watch the rest of the world catch on and, and raise an eyebrow and be like, 
hey, who is this player? And uh, hey, you know, Mike, tell me a bit about her. And and it, it's good for 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 Canada in general to get this kind of. Uh, you know, attention on the women's side as well. We had Dennis doing it on the on the men's side, and Felix is is coming along. But here we have Bianca now on the women's side too. So we've got some great players, great young players, men and women in this country. And and Tennis Canada must just be smiling ear to ear at uh, the potential for the next uh, ten years and beyond. No doubt. And she's such a fighter, too, uh, just at Newport getting this title, uh, fighting through adversity in that uh, semifinal match against Tatiana Maria, a more experienced player. Uh, I know she was facing down two match points in that second set. Rallies from uh, down 5-7, dropping the first set 7-5, comes back and wins at 5-7-7-5-7-6. And then you go to the final against Jessica Pagula. You drop the first set 6-love and then win the next two, 6-4, uh, We also had an all Canadian matchup where Bianca Andreescu uh, ran Jeannie Bouchard off the court 6-2, 6-love. I'm not sure there's that big of a separation in their games right now, but uh, as as you said, very well-deserving uh, new Canadian number one, Bianca Andreescu, and I, th- I really think the sky's the limit. I will mention Gabriela Dabrowski, uh, our double star uh, from Ottawa. She was competing as well at the Australian Open. Uh, unfortunately, her and Matej Pavic went out early to a very difficult Czech Republic team. Uh, and she also, I believe, reached the quarterfinals of the mixed doubles event um, as well. So sort of mixed results for Gabby Dabrowski. I, I'm sure she'll be a bit disappointed with that, but uh, I still think she's one of the better doubles players in the world. Yeah, Gabby getting quarterfinals in mixed, and it was like 11-9 in the third set. And then, as you mentioned there, she went out early in women's doubles. But uh, again, those Czech doubles teams are always tough and and, a misfortune to to face them so early. Uh, But again, in terms of doubles, I mean, she's she's it for for Canada right now. There's no Daniel Nestor around anymore. So Gabby is is our double specialist for sure. And it seems like Canada's always got to have one double specialist at least. So hopefully she doesn't mind, uh, you know, carrying, carrying that one for us. Um, also, I just wanted to touch on, I, I spoke with Canadian um, Braden Schnur uh, just the other day, and he also had a great run at the Newport, Newport Beach Challenger event. He made it all the way to the finals before falling to Taylor Fritz. And Braden is now up to a career high, number 164 in the ATP rankings. Pretty good for the 24-year-old. Um, he's got three goals for this year. One of them is to um, win a main draw ATP event. One of them is to make the uh, qualities at Wimbledon as a seeded player because he really feels with his serve and his game that he's uh, sort of well-suited to grass. And his other one was to win a challenger event. And boy, did he come close to start 2019. So nice to have positive result in Newport from uh, Canadians, both male and female. Yeah, pretty incredible to have two Canadians playing for a title uh, at the very same event in Newport Beach. And this was a really good tournament for Braden, too. When you look at the score lines, I saw that he was having to deal with Mackenzie McDonald uh, in the second round of that event. And I was thinking, oh, boy, how is he going to get through uh, Mackie McDonald, who's an excellent young American player and sure enough, beat him in straight sets then he also beat a veteran Donald Young that's a name maybe you've forgotten about a bit but he was uh, such an up-and-coming rising star when he first came on the scene never fully put it together uh beats him and then obviously Taylor Fritz is another young American with a great great potential that he loses to in the finals so uh we we just feel pretty spoiled right now in terms of Canadian contingency of tennis players right now Mike yeah, and one more before I forget it. I don't think you and I had really discussed this previously, but uh, the the girls' juniors event at the Aussie Open, we had uh, Layla, Layla Fernandez yep. in the in the finals. So 
you know, there's so much to look forward to as if we need another, you know, young player to look forward to. We're kind of getting greedy here, but uh, it's it's going well. There's lots to be excited about. And, and many of them that still have not yet, uh, you know, reached that sort of uh, peak. I mean, we're, we're just, we're salivating at the possibilities that, that are going to be coming you know, in the years to come with these guys and girls. That's right. Layla Fernandez, just 16 years old. Very kind of a funny moment uh, during the trophy presentation. She was announced as Layla Fernandez from the United States and very politely uh-huh. in perfect Canadian fashion uh, corrected the announcer and said, well, actually, I, I'm from Canada. Uh, so thank you. for <laughs> Thank you, Layla, for reminding everybody, uh, because it should be known that you are Canadian and just 16 years old, uh, reaching the junior final of the Australian Open. Uh, amazingly well done. A few events uh, happening now that I'll just make mention of. Uh, we have a WTA event in Thailand. Garbina Muguruza and Caroline Garcia are the top seeds there. I know uh, Maria Sharapova is playing right now in St. Petersburg, uh, so it's a fairly quick turnaround for Maria Sharapova. I thought she had a pretty solid Australian Open and uh, is keen to continue playing, I guess is a good sign. And uh, Davis Cup Canada getting ready for Slovakia on clay overseas. That will be a completely different look than what we're used to, Mike. But uh, I guess we we have to go into this new Davis Cup format, uh, you know, glass half full, I suppose. Yeah, I'm just excited to see, uh, you know, the young guns uh, carrying it for Canada this time. Milos didn't want to go because, you know, letting his body sort of heal and and take a break. Vashik Pospisil, unfortunately, out for three months after going through a a spinal surgery. Uh, So we've got Felix Ojealiasim and Denis Shapovalov, the two buddies who are going to go for Canada. Peter Polanski is there as well. It'll be interesting to see if they use him or not. I mean, you, you think kind of with Felix and Dennis being so young, they could almost throw them out for singles and doubles, and I think the kids would be all right. And then you've got Captain Frank Dancevich, who's there uh, if needed as the fourth player, but uh, really don't expect that he's going to be hitting the court. So uh, hopefully the kids can take care of things there. Hopefully, and I'll just remind uh, that that tie will take place with Slovakia Friday and Saturday, so that's February 1st and February 2nd. Mike, thank you, as always, for joining me. Uh, isn't it great that we can get back to a regular sleep schedule now? I'm, I'm so happy because I'm getting real tired of people asking me, Dan, hey, why you look so tired? Are you okay? You feeling all right? <laughs> I'm going to be feeling great. Just give me a few days to recover. Sounds good. All right, you've been listening to the Southpaw Slice. Find us on Twitter at Southpaw underscore Slice, and we will talk to you to talk to you next time. You don't know.